Well, Aaron, I don't know about you, but I am so excited about our first overseas road trip to the UK in the Wayback Music Machine. Oh, me too. Going over the big pond, going to England, the UK. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, and you know what? I figured I would uh, gas her up last night, so that way we wouldn't be rushed. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Did you put premium in? Um, no, just regular white. Yeah, the, the manual clearly and distinctly says for overseas trips, the Wayback Music Machine needs premium gasoline. Oh, man. Or, or, as the British call it, petrol. Well, I could uh, lie to you and tell you that I put premium in, but um, you know what? I think we're going to be okay. The machine's been running really well lately, so I, I think I think we're going to be fine. I guess we'll go for it, but I also feel we're going into Laurel and Hardy uh, territory. But okay, let's go for it. Yeah, let's do it. What can happen? Maps? Check. Snacks? Double check. Tunes? Check. I'm Tony Stewart. I'm Aaron Badgley. And we are cruising the rock and roll highway in our way back music machine. Are you ready, my friend? I sure am. I have the feeling this is going to be the start of a great adventure. Kind of a magical mystery tour. Somehow I knew you were going to say that. Hey, would you mind, before we go back to 1969, could we take a slight detour in 2003? There was something interesting that happened back then, and I'd like to check it out. Yeah, sure. I I mean, I can't imagine what, because musically there was very little cool, but sure, let's do it. Great. So uh, punch in 200.3, and uh, let's see if it works. There we go. So I wanted to um, go back to 2003 because, you know, sometimes uh, we go back and visit the really famous people, but this one was actually really cool. You know, the, the oldest working musician in Britain, a guy named George Conrad Leonard, and he went by Conrad Leonard. He died at age 104, and he was the oldest working musician in Britain. So very cool. And he had an amazing career. He worked with people like Cole Porter, Batula Clark, and he worked at the BBC. And uh, right up until the age of 103, he played piano every Thursday at lunch in the Plantation Cafe at Squires Garden Centre in Twickenham. And um, a member of the Musicians Union, just a really neat story. So I just wanted to come back because uh, the funeral's happening right now, as you can tell with the uh, bells going on. Uh, here I was thinking that Rod Stewart was the oldest living musician in uh, England. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. You know, England's famous for their musicians. You know, Vera Lynn, you know, she was 103 when she passed away in 2017, and she had a top three album in 2017 called Vera Lynn 100. Wow. So, I mean, you know, this guy was playing every lunch hour. I'd love to have seen him play. That would have been great, you know? Yeah, and, you know, like I said, this is just a quick little uh, pit stop, but I thought, what a neat uh, moment uh, to celebrate the life of somebody like that. So, uh, thanks for doing that. Yeah, you know what? We've got to celebrate the uh, the lesser known, but, I mean, the fact he played with Cole Porter, that's pretty damn cool. Yeah, very amazing, isn't it? You know, yeah. the things The things musically, actually, that he would have seen over his lifetime. Can you imagine? 
Well, of course, so, so he died in 2003, this year, 2003. So he would have been born in 1900. So yeah, he would have seen the Edison uh, discs. He would have seen 78s, concerts, the Beatles. I mean, just Elvis, rock and roll, everything, everything. Yeah, pretty incredible. So uh, that was just a quick stop to celebrate uh, the life of a pretty remarkable musician. But uh, I think our next stop is going to be, let's go uh, 1969. What do you think? Well, 69 in London was pretty damn swinging. I'm, I'm game, yeah. All right, punch it in. I, I'm really curious to see what uh, commercials are on the radio from 69. So. <laughs> All right, 1969. So we just do a one, nine, six. Point nine, right? There we go. All right, here we go. Starting today, ordinary washing powders are out of date. Procter & Gamble announce the biological washing miracle, Ariel. New Ariel washes cleaner because it washes biologically. Ariel digests, actually digests stains like gravy, egg, blood, sauce, the impossible stains, the biological stains. Here's proof. We'll wash half in ordinary powder and simply soak half in Ariel. See? Washed and still stained, but with Ariel just in the soak, incredibly clean. Ariel actually digests dirt and stains ordinary powders leave behind. Now see what happens when you go on to wash with Ariel. Ariel's biological cleaning power will give you... A cleaner wash than I ever thought possible. Boy, British uh, commercials are sure different than the uh, North American ones, aren't they? Well, you know what? So is the charts. I didn't, I didn't mention to you, but in 2003, 2003, when we were visiting our friend Conrad Leonard, um, just, a, just a brief brief note that the top five albums that week in England, where number five was Coldplay, A Rush of Blood to the Head, Simply Red, Home, Linkin Park, Materia, Nora Jones. Do you know that Nora Jones is uh, Ravi Shankar's daughter? I do. So very yeah. cool Beatles connection there. Yes. Come away with me. And number one was the White Stripes, Elephants. Anyways, Elephant. Not, not, no plural. Sorry. Elephant. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. British commercials are great. And Come Away With Me was a huge album for Nora Jones. What a breakout uh, effort. Boy. She had a great, she still does have a great voice, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, Rick and I cover a few uh, Nora Jones tunes, so. I could picture that. I think that would. I think that would really work, and, and you could slow it down a bit even more, right? Yeah. So we made it back successfully. It's April nineteenth, nineteen sixty nine, and uh, I'm still worried about the gas. But I'm just saying. Well, so far it's been good, though. And All right, um, I'm just saying, I'm worried. I'm worried. <laughs> <laughs> so it uh, looks like we're outside the Revolution Club. Yeah, famous club in London, England, eh? Yeah, and you were saying this club. Uh, actually survived just about to our present day, didn't it? 2014, it looks like it closed down, but they had some amazing, amazing acts. If you look at their, some of their lineups, I mean, Ike and Tina Turner played there, Cream. I mean, they had, pardon the pun, the Cream of the Crop, Eric Burden and the Animals played there. Yeah, amazing. Um, oh, just a great club, you know, in, in London. But, but London always had those, and still does, have those great clubs, don't you think? Oh, for sure. And this uh, night is a pretty special one. This was the debut of a band called Smile. And a lot of people won't recognize Smile, but they'll recognize the band that Smile became uh, about a year later because Smile became Queen. 
So Smile performed on April 19th, 1969. And they had... uh, most of the pieces were in place for Queen, except the vocalist was John Staffel. Uh, and he ended up leaving Smile shortly after this gig. But uh, Freddie Mercury had been hanging around the band, and uh, he was at this show, actually, watching it. And he recommended Freddie Mercury. Although Freddie's name at the time was not Mercury, was it? No, it was Freddie Bolsara. That's right. That's and right. From Zanzibar. That's uh, that's very cool. I mean, probably the only rock star I can think of from Zanzibar, you know? Yeah. yeah and he, as you say, he was a big fan of uh, Smile. So there you go. Yeah. And he'd been hanging around and he had been uh, even working as a roadie for them. And uh, he knew uh, the other guys as well. But uh, Stiffle, Staffel uh, left and uh, formed a group called Humpy Bong, which I've never heard of them. Have you? <laughs> it makes me laugh, that name. Let's yeah. see that twelve-year-old Aaron comes out again. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I did. They, um, they didn't make a big mark, but they've got some pretty rare vinyl out there. If you can find it, it's worth the mint. Oh yeah, yeah. So in 1970, um, Freddie Mercury became the lead singer uh, of the group, and he he wanted to call them Queen, and the other guys were a little reluctant at first, but uh, he convinced them that it would be a great title, and they went with it. And the rest, as they say, is history. But the, the important part of this show at the uh, Revolution Club is that they got signed. Smile got signed by Mercury Records at mm-hmm. this at this gig. So that's pretty important. And Mercury Records at the same time had David Bowie on their label. And he had put out the what would become one of his signature tunes, um, Space Oddity. Oh, yeah. Right? So Mercury was kind of an up-and-coming label. At the, I mean, they weren't up-and-coming. They'd been established for probably four decades by that point. But they were trying to sign newer and hipper and different bands and certainly if you listen to old queen music from you know the first two albums i know that smiles not queen and all that but they were very different i mean they stood out you know oh for sure and um just you know they didn't think at first that uh staffel was going to uh give up the lead vocalist position you know but i i don't think they felt totally content with staffel's vocals but uh I don't think either Smile had huge ambitions, did they? They were still all college kids, and they wanted to get signed, but I, I don't think they ever foresaw the success that was going to come later. You know, I was just, and I know it's not Queen, but I was just watching a documentary just yesterday on Pink Floyd, and um, Roger Waters was talking about when Floyd formed, and they, they never imagined they'd become Pink Floyd. They were a bar band. They were a club band. They were kind of a cult favorite. Same thing with Smile, same thing with Queen. I don't think Queen ever sat around in 1972 and thought, we're going to dominate the charts and we're going to become an iconic band, you know? But, no, exactly. And, and and a bunch of intellectuals in Queen too, right? Like Brian May, a doctorate in astrophysics. Yeah, which I'm, I'm convinced helps them play. Those, I mean, it's his guitaring, right? If, if anyone was to ask me my favorite aspect of Queen, it's Brian May. I, I love Freddie Mercury, too, but I love May's guitaring. You listen to what he does in any song. Listen to Keep Yourself Alive or uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. My very favorite, you know, We Are the Champions. I mean, he just, wow, that guitar work in that song is amazing. It is amazing, and he's not the flashiest player in rock history, but just knew what to put when, you know? Um, they they just voted him the greatest rock guitarist of, of all time, didn't they? Which came as a shock to him, 
I think, because he was he was saying, well, there's no way that I should be ahead of Hendricks and Clapton and guys like that, right? Oh, I know. And, and Jimi Hendrix, I mean, my, my favorite quote, and I'm, I'm digressing from Queen for a second, but you, you raised Hendrix. My favorite quotation of Jimi Hendrix is when they asked him, um, how does it feel to be the greatest guitarist of all time? And Hendrix goes, I don't know. You should ask Rory Gallagher. So, I mean, there's a lot of these guitar players that, that have kind of disappeared over time, which is a real shame. If Brian May never got his due, in my opinion. He was always overshadowed by Jimmy Page and Richie Blackmore and, and uh, Hendrix. But again, you listen to Queen and that guitarist, he's, he's smoking. I mean, he just, he knew what he's doing. Well, and the other thing that always impressed me about Queen too was their studio work, right? Just like the Beatles, very experimental in the studio. Um, the stuff that they did on uh, Night at the Opera later on, I mean, incredible, incredible stuff. News of the world. I And I even like... For me, I loved, and I don't think this is a favor with Queen fans, but I love the song Radio Gaga. Oh, me too. Do you really? That's yeah. a great song. Yeah, It's a fantastic song. Um, lyrically, musically, it's so interesting, that song. It's just all over the place. Oh, for sure. I've got to tell a story. Uh, okay. Because it, you know, this is a story from school. It involved uh, Night at the Opera, because I've got it on vinyl at the school. Uh, I brought most of my records into my music room at the school. So this would be, oh my gosh, maybe 10 years ago. Um, I was teaching my senior music class and the kids wanted to listen to it because they saw you know, a bunch of my vinyl. They said, can we listen to that? Can we listen to that? So I, I brought in a record player and it was the same day as a track meet. And I had like, I think four kids on the track team in my music class and all four of them what a coincidence were too sick to go to track that day and they showed up to class just to listen to the vinyl so we listened to um uh what we listened to night at the opera zeppelin three i'm trying to i'm trying to remember what else we listened to but it was a it was a great period right we had about 75 minutes and i love the fact that kids today are fascinated by records and vinyl we grew well you you're more good you know cassette maybe but you i bought both vinyl. i bought yeah, both yeah vinyl. I just, I find it, you know, I was, I was, I, I, I'm going to go to my grave. Vinyl sounds better. I know technically CDs are better. I get it. I get it. But nothing. And I can understand these kids being fascinated by the 12 by 12 cover art. The oh, the whole package. Sleeves, the whole yeah. package, right? Yeah. And do you remember when you were a kid? You know, I remember buying Band on the Run. It came with a poster and it had a cool label. Dark Side of the Moon had two posters. Man, that was so cool. Love that stuff. And Queen always did nice packaging, too. They always had nice stuff with their albums. So, Oh, they sure did. But, you know, that's something that is lost in our current uh, digital marketplace now, where kids are consuming market uh, music digitally. Yeah, but All those extras a, are getting lost. You can't get a poster when you stream on Spotify, kids. You know, you, it, it's, it's all gone, right? And it's, uh, as George Harrison would say, it's a pity. It's a pity, but... Yeah, so yeah. this was the beginning of course. You know what I have to do, Tony? I have to tell you what was in the top five singles in England at the time. Oh, yeah. I, I, want I to find hear this that. fascinating. I find this fascinating. But first, before we do the top five, number seven was a song called Where Do You Go To My Lovely by Peter Sarstedt. Do you know that song? I don't. Okay, you have got to listen to this song. <laughs> it's one of my all-time favorite songs, bar none. It's just an amazing song. It went on to go to number one, but anyways, it was at number seven. But number five was Desmond Decker and the Aces with a song that I just love called Israelites. Uh, Lulu was number four with Boom, Bang, Bang. 
make your own conclusions. Uh, uh, she was married to Maurice Skibb at the time of the Beach of the Bee Gees. Uh, oh, nice. number th- yeah. Number three was the Hollies. Sorry, Suzanne. Okay. Number two, out of nowhere, number two, Dean Martin, Gentle on My Mind. What the hell? I, I love Dean Martin, by the way. I, I do, but <laughs> I, I mean, 69 in England, you got Queen starting with Smile, and you got this hip stuff. And number two is Dean Martin doing a cover of Gentle on My Mind. <laughs> okay. And number one was the classic, and I do mean classic, Marvin Gaye's I Heard It Through the Grapevine. Yes. But there was a song at number 25 that's really important for you and me. Number 25 had a new single by an artist. It was their second single. The song was called Goodbye. It was written by Paul McCartney, produced by Paul McCartney. He played all the instruments in the song. And it was on a label called Apple Records. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about that in a minute, aren't we? We are. We're actually just going to jump forward about a year and... Uh talk backward, some backward. We're gonna oh backwards, backwards. yes i'm oh, sorry backwards. we're gonna jump backwards we're gonna go to 68 i forgot we were doing this trip backwards <laughs> before we go can we get some fish and chips let's do that let's do that let's go for some fish and chips and uh here why don't you punch 1968 in the radio there and uh, let's do this got it okay good and the engine is still sounding pretty good i think I'm... no it's not did you not hear it hiccup well, you know what? Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed because uh, we're two-thirds of the way down the road trip here. So, all yeah, right, let's go. Worried, so, Tony, I want you to pull over here. We're on a street called Baker Street, which was famous for Sherlock Holmes, but it's famous for something else, too. All right, I'm pulling over right now. Yeah, pull over, pull over. Uh, so we're at an address, 94 Baker Street, and this is the first office of a record label called Apple Records. They're going to move very shortly to 3 Saville Row, but right now this is where they're located. And Apple hasn't started yet. Apple is in its infancy, and there's an advertisement placed featuring a guy named Alistair Taylor, who was a guy who worked for Brian Epstein and the Beatles, and he's, he's like a picture of a one-man band. And underneath it says, one day... So this man has talent. One day he sang his songs into a tape recorder, borrowed from the next door neighbor. In his neatest handwriting, he wrote an explanatory note, giving his name and address, and remembering to enclose a picture of himself, sent the tape, letter, and photograph to Apple Music. If you were thinking of doing the same thing, do it now. This man now owns a Bentley. <laughs> That's a great ad, isn't it? <laughs> And so uh, I'm sure people who are listening right now can figure out, but we're talking about the Beatles record label, Apple Records, and it's just a seed right now. little Apple joke there. Oh, that was very good. Look at that, eh? That was awesome. I love Not that. just here for my looks, Aaron. <laughs> that was really good. I like that. <laughs> yeah, Apple's, Apple is starting to grow, and, they're, and they get... They get inundated with tape. You can imagine how many tapes were sent to Apple Records once that ad hit, right? Oh, for sure. And I love some of the names. We have some of the names here, don't we? Uh, some of the people who uh, they signed. Uh, Badfinger, James Taylor, Mary Hopkins, Jackie Lomax, David Peel, and Elephant's Memory. They were all signed up. And uh, that's a pretty good lineup right there. And you know what? I, I got a bit of a, a connection to our first stop in 2003. They also signed a band called John Foster and Sons Limited Black Dyke Mills Band. And what's incredible about that band is they're known as the longest running band 
They formed in 1816. Now, a few of the members have changed since 1816, but <laughs> I, I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but they were the, they're the longest running band. They're still together. They're still performing, and they signed and the, the and the they released a single on Apple, produced and written by Paul. So, oh, that's really cool. Isn't that cool? I mean, you know, over a century old. But they, uh, yeah, Bad Finger who had hits with "Come and Get It" day after day. And for Breaking Bad fans, um, you know, uh, Baby Blue. Um, what else? Uh, James Taylor would go on to have huge hits with Warner Brothers, but he had a hit with uh, Apple too, Carolina On My Mind. Now, Apple Apple dropped him, right? Is that correct? Yeah, well, they couldn't, they didn't uh, really see a future with Mr. Taylor. <laughs> you know, and, and as much as people like to look at those stories and say, well, how could they not have known? But, I mean, James Taylor was going through some pretty monumental struggles at that time. And uh, that's all that they could make their decision on. I mean, he, he really struggled with substance abuse and he did, you know, well, you know, the thing, I mean, so they had some huge Apple records had huge successes besides just the Beatles, right? Mary Hopkins, the, the first four records released on Apple records on August 30th, 1968, where those were the days, Hey Jude, Jackie Lomax, Sour Milk Sea, and the John Foster thingamabob. Mary Hopkins, those are the days, made number one worldwide. That yeah, was that was a, a huge song. Huge, huge song. And um, I don't know if you ever heard of a song called Hey Jude. <laughs> <laughs> a little known uh, song. Yeah, a little ditty. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you know, can I tell you a funny story about Hey Jude? Sure. The Stones had a big party, and they were playing Beggar's Banquet, which is a classic album, of course. Uh, I believe it was Beggar's Banquet, and I'm sure I'll get calls if I'm the wrong album. But anyways, they're playing the album. McCartney walks in with the tape or the acetate of Hey Jude and goes, uh, would you guys like to hear this? <laughs> <laughs> Talk about stealing some thunder. Um, Mick wasn't impressed because he, it was a bit, you know, because Hey Jude, the longest song to make number one at that point, seven minutes and 10, well, 11 seconds long. Um, and it was on Apple. In the Apple label, I love the Granny Smith on one side and the other side it was cut in half. So yes, that's that. fantastic. It's iconic. iconic. But you know, Hey Jude, it, that song was built too for audience participation, you know? Like oh. you go anywhere in the world and you start up that final uh, chorus repeating itself and everybody knows what to do, right? Like it can go. Uh, we did a concert at the school and uh, we did uh, Hey Jude was in one of the medleys we did and we had, you know, 400 and some people in the gym singing along to to Hey Jude, right? Everybody knows it. And, well, did you ever see when they did it on the David Frost show? Have you seen that clip? No. So they're they're on the, they're on David Frost and they start off with the four Beatles and they have a orchestra and they're doing Hey Jude and then all of a sudden with the na 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 part they're just flooded with kids, young teenagers, old. Oh, people. cool! It's a uh, you know what? Look it up on. I'll, I'll send you a link so you can attach it because it's a great clip of uh, just and it's really unity. Because it's just like every nationality you can think of, and it's just this beautiful collage of people singing with the Beatles doing Hey Jude, right? Which is pretty great. So, so who did the Apple, Apple Records turn down a very famous artist, though? Well, Apple Records turned down a certain Mr. David Bowie. And you've got the wording of the telegram there, don't you? The rejection telegram. Yeah, it, it, it read basically, we don't feel he's what we're looking for at the moment. I love um, seeing those. Those rejection letters are fantastic. 
I mean, it's it's on par with Decca Records turning down the Beatles and saying to Brian Epstein, we think guitar groups are on their way out. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, uh, for musicians, right, rejection is a uh, part of life. And uh, every musician goes through it. And, and you certainly will have a lot of no's thrown your way just as often as you hear yeses, you know. And uh, what an interesting one that they turned him down. And the other band they turned down was a band you may not be too familiar with, a, a group called Fire, which featured a guy named, um, oh, dear, my, my brain just isn't working right now. It, it featured a member who would go on to play in um, Straubs. His name was Dave Lambert. And oh. Fire, you know the Straubs, right? Yeah, yeah. Fantastic band. So he was in this band called Fire before he was in Straubs, and they did three albums, two albums on, uh, believe it or not, Decca. So... <laughs> They turned down a couple of bands, and they and they tried to get Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, but uh, they were signed already to Atlantic Records, so they couldn't um, jump ship to Apple. That would have been cool to see mm-hmm. those four on Apple. That would have been nice. But. You know, and this is uh, right at a time when things are starting to get contentious for the Beatles, and I I think uh, George Harrison especially, right? He did not want to be a businessman, did he? Now he wanted to bring. Now Harrison wanted to bring talent, but he didn't want to sit in. Well, that's one of your favorite songs. That comes from that. Here comes the sun, right? Yes. Where he said, "I had enough of meetings," so he went to uh, Eric Clapton's house, sat in the garden, and wrote, "Here comes the sun." And here's a funny story. Paul McCartney took one of George Harrison's sentences from a meeting and put it into a number one song. And McCartney took the. They were at a meeting, and Harrison goes, "If we ever get out of here, I'm going to give it all away." I became banned on the run. If I ever get out of here, I thought I'm giving it all away. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Harrison's like, I just, enough. <laughs> yeah. Oh, exactly. And you know what? I'd love to hear what was on the charts this week. Well, it's interesting what's on the charts this week in England because you're going to laugh because it is everything. So number five is 1910 Fruit Gum Company, Simon Says. Yee. Number four, Tom Jones, Delilah. Great song. Yes. Number three, I, I don't know if he ever made it over North America. John Rawls with If I Only Had Time. Nice song, actually. Louis Armstrong is at number two with What a Wonderful World. Yeah, that's a pretty cool story in, in and of itself, isn't it? 100%. 100%. We should talk about Louis Armstrong. I love him. And number one was a guy who was and is massive in the UK. Didn't ever make it huge here. Cliff Richard. Mm-hmm. And a song called Congratulations. Um, but Cliff was massive, massive in the UK. And he only had a few minor hits here, you know, Summer Holiday, Devil Woman. Um, interesting cat. I mean, he's another one of those guys where you either love him or... But he's an interesting person nonetheless, right? Oh, for sure. But uh, you're right. Though That chart that week was all over the place. A little <laughs> bit of everything, eh? Well, there was no Dean Martin. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, but you're right. I mean, Apple was the, yeah, it had great, and the Beatles weren't the first band to have their own label, right? One of your favorite guys, Frank Sinatra, reprised records, and that's where he got the name Chairman of the Board, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bing Crosby had a record label before the Beatles. Uh, Yeah, so lots of bands had, or artists, I should say, had labels prior, but the Beatles really wanted to make Apple a, what they called a, um, a communist utopia where artists could be free to do what they wanted. And one day when you have Tony Tony, I'll play some really far out stuff they put out on Apple. But anyways, that's uh, my Apple story. 
Oh, that's excellent. Aaron, have you noticed that uh, the engine is sounding a little bit rougher? Uh, I thought it just stalled, actually, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'll see if I can give it a bit more here. Oh, man. So I'm not I gonna think say I right. told you. I'm not, not going to say I told you so, Tony. I'm not going to be a backseat driver. I'm, I'm not. Well, uh, you know what, though? Since we are pulled over, we're going to have to figure out what to do. Um, luckily, we went through a lot of gas, so we should be able to find some premium petrol somewhere. But since we're stuck here on the side of the road... In 1968, what? we're going to find premium unleaded petrol? Really? Well, let's go for the willing <laughs> suspension of disbelief. Why don't we, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, Fair enough. <laughs> so while we're sitting here by the road, though, it's time for uh, me to give you a song that the kids are listening to today. And you know what? Since there is no... Internet in 68, I downloaded it on my phone for you. So if you've got your headphones there, I'll, I'll pass it over to you. you yeah, I, thought, I, was, I was hoping or thought you might have forgotten, but okay. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to uh, pass you my phone and you can take a listen. And then once you're done, we will describe to people what you just listened to. So here you go. So the song that I chose for Aaron was uh, Montero by Lil Nas X. And um, I'm going to break the fourth wall here for a second. Uh, We record this on a setup very similar to uh, Zoom. And I got to watch Aaron while he was listening to this uh, number two song on the Billboard Top 100. And uh, very interesting. I have to tell you, he he did not move a muscle. There was no expression on his face while he was listening to that. It was classic. So, all right, let's get get back into the Wayback Music Machine here. Sorry for breaking the illusion. But. You know, it, it felt, first of all, I'm so glad there was no auto-tune. Um, <laughs> no CGI uh, in the video. Um yeah, not my cup of tea. Um, it, no, mine it, either. But I, the video like, is so out there, isn't it? Too? Oh, it, Barbarella. I mean, it's, it was. <laughs> well, those of you who've seen that science fiction classic, you'll know what I'm talking about. But it, uh, I don't even know what to say. It, it was one of those moments where I'm watching, it going, "Is this really what kids are digging? Because this is not whatever." I'm an old man. I know that. But uh, wow, Tony. Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty much my reaction to. Yeah, but, that's that's uh, you know, and I I don't mind if there's a bit of auto tuning, um, and I'm certainly not a prude. I don't care swearing or all that kind of stuff. But uh, you know, you ever watched the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? Oh yeah, yeah, it's one of my favorite movies. Yeah. So you remember a famous line in it when Steve Martin says to John Candy, "Hey, Dell, here's a thought. Next time you tell a story, have a point." Um, <laughs> You know where I'm going with this. I, I kind of do. It's like, hey, Naz. <laughs> Next time you do a record, have a point. It was, I, it's not, again, and I hope I don't offend anybody, but uh, no, no. I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and, yeah. and say that anybody who's listening to the Billboard Hot 100 right now is probably not a big fan of the uh, Wayback Music Machine <laughs> podcast, but... Well, you never, you never know. You never, you never can tell these days, Tony. You never I can just, tell. Just don't think that's our demographic. But, <laughs> uh, 
No, and I don't think Little Nas thinks that I'm his demographic. Let me tell you. <laughs> just putting that out there. Wow. Um, I'm sure yeah. one, of, you know, one of my daughters probably likes it, Emily in L.A., but um, Emily, if you're listening, I'm sorry. It's really not my cup of tea. Well, you know what? My son hated it. Uh, I, I showed him this afternoon what I was going to uh, get you to listen to, and he was like, oh, my God, yeah, that's awful. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I get to choose next week, so. Yes, yes, yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're duly warned. <laughs> exactly. Well, Aaron, you know, uh, as much fun as this has been, uh, I love the fact that we made it over to England, and I'm really sorry about uh the mishap with the uh, gas tank, but we're we're kind of stuck here at the side of the road right now. So, yep. um, I guess I always try to find the silver lining. In yeah, everything. you do, you do. You're the you're the Paul McCartney, and I'm the John Lennon. Yeah. So the silver lining is is that we get to do another UK show next week, which because we'll still be here. You know, we'll get the time machine working, and and we'll be checking out some very cool rock history stuff next week again in the UK so I, I can't uh, argue with that uh, but I have one big question what's that who's calling Cynthia and Andrea that is a good question and yeah. how we'll be like the <laughs> movies right where we put a letter inside a wall or something in there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll call Cynthia you call Andrea okay yeah we have some uh, some explaining to do yeah, crisscross crisscross <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know what, though? This was a great trip. And, uh, I'm enjoying I every second of it. Every second of yeah, it. Yeah, me too. And uh, it'll be fun to be in the UK again next week. Absolutely. Absolutely. I guess we can get some bangers and mashed. Let's do it. Let's All do right, it. I'm in. We've, we've got lots of time on our hands. <laughs> okay. Music for today's episode of the Wayback Music Machine podcast was written by Rick Denis. The show notes, chart selection, and Spotify playlist were created by Aaron Badgley. And the artwork, recording, editing, and sound production was done by Tony Stewart. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to tell a friend or two. And don't forget to click follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast player to get the latest episodes automatically. And we'd love it if you would leave us a review. You can also engage with the show by going on our website and leaving us a voicemail. We may even play your voicemail on an upcoming episode. Thanks for taking this road trip with us, and we'll see you next time on the Wayback Music Machine Podcast. Hey, turn the radio up. I love this song. The Wayback Music Machine Podcast is a Stewie Tunes production. Progressive presents Forest Metaphors, about bundling your home and auto. When you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get great savings and round-the-clock protection, which is as beautiful as looking your firstborn child in the eyes for the first time. Well, that's a bit much. Maybe it's more like looking your second-born child in the eyes for like the third or fourth time. Point being, the savings and round-the-clock protection are really, really magical. Forced Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations.